Hi there, and welcome back to Toxic Bliss, Surviving Narcissism with me, Awen Reese. In the last episode, I shared a few of the conversations that I had with my therapist at the time. Now, at this point, I knew that Mike was on his way back to his mother's house in Kentucky, and he was planning on weaseling his way back into my life. I had thankfully been strong enough to tell him no when he asked to come back after Cloudy had thrown him out. But how long would that last? I already knew it wouldn't last all that long, because there was a part of me that was excited, thinking, this time, this time, we'd get it right, and we could be happy like we were all those summers ago. Okay, so we were only happy for about a week or two, but those were the best weeks I've ever had, and I wanted them back. In my next therapy session, this was our topic. I told my counselor that Mike had called after he had been tossed out on his ear, and he wanted to come back. He congratulated me for saying no and standing my ground, but I told him to hold on to that thought because I really did want him to come back, only on my terms this time, not his. Now, before you start yelling and jumping up and down saying, no, 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 don't do it, there was a part of me saying that exact thing, too. Only, at this point in my life, I had no idea what a narcissist was or how my codependent antics were a key ingredient in this problem. I honestly believed that Mike was the love of my life, but he just had to learn not to be such a piece of poop. I had no idea that narcissism couldn't be fixed, not that I realized that was a problem anyway, but I truly thought I could fix him, or at least put enough boundaries in place so that he would either have to behave or leave. Simple. Surely, after all of these breakups and reconciliations and time apart, he would have learned something about me and how I expected him to behave, no? No, my therapist shook his head. I explained myself further. Whenever Mike had pointed out my behaviors that upset him, I would make a concerted effort to change them and do or not do whatever it was anymore. That's what people do in relationships, right? But now it was his turn to do the same. I just had to explain that to him in terms that he could understand. The look on my therapist's face was one of utter defeat. He seemed to be wondering how he had gone so terribly wrong in life and why I just could not grasp anything that he'd told me. After a few moments of silence, he said, Okay, here's some paper and a pen. I'm going to run across the street for a coffee, and while I'm gone, I want you to write a list of all of the behaviors that you want Mike to stop doing as many of them as you can think of, and when I get back, we'll go through it. Okay, I said, this should be easy. He left and I began my list. It was long and included a lot of things like lying, stealing, hiding money, cheating, being quick to anger, punching walls, pulling fire alarms, having temper tantrums, and being sneaky in general. I thought about it a little harder and came up with a few more items. Putting me down belittling my interests and hobbies as if they were stupid, lying to my face when we both knew full well that he was lying, even if I had proof right in front of him, times when he would tell me who I can and can't talk to, putting down all of my friends and family, or getting mad and having tantrums any time I wanted to go out with a friend, constantly criticizing everything I did, never being appreciative of things I'd do for him, making me walk around in eggshells, and the most frustrating was the constant rewriting of history. 
I was on a roll and I was really getting into this list when my therapist returned, with a Diet Coke and some chips for me. I thanked him and showed him what I had done so far. The first half of the list didn't get much of a reaction, but the second half really got his attention. Let's go through this list line by line now, with examples. We did this in that session, but I also want to do it here for a couple of reasons. First, to get it all out of my head. It's very cathartic. But also, in case anyone listening has experienced the same kind of list, if you have, maybe we should talk. Feel free to reach out. Here we go. Number one, putting me down. Mike would do this constantly, but always under the guise of teasing or being funny. Like, he would tease me about my height, or rather, the lack thereof. I'm only five feet, and he was six two, so there was a big difference. But he would put things I wanted on top of the kitchen cabinets, knowing that I couldn't reach them. And then he would tease me about having to ask him to get them down for me. Sometimes he'd use this as a control freaky thing, too, and say, you've had enough chips for one day, so I'll get them down when I think you should have more. But he loved to tell everyone else about this as though it was the funniest thing in the world. Solution? My therapist interjected as I was getting a bit riled up talking about it. I said, well, I'll buy a step stool. He nodded and said that was definitely a solution. Maybe not the best one, but it would work. Number two belittling my interests and hobbies, and calling them stupid. I could speak Welsh with decent accuracy, and he would always tell me that that was such a waste of time, learning a language that no one speaks. And I told him a lot of people in Wales actually speak Welsh, and it was a gorgeous language with a rich cultural history, and he would just scoff. Whenever I had said anything in Welsh, especially if we were around other people, he would roll his eyes and say something disparaging like, Oh, she thinks that's a real language, ha 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 ha, and everyone would laugh. But I stopped speaking Welsh around Mike if he was anywhere within earshot, just to avoid his scorn. Hey Mike, if you're listening, Sandfire, please go get a I was also really into needlepoint. I had a lot of time back when I was pregnant and I didn't have a computer to occupy my time. So I had done this amazing counted cross-stitch piece. It was very intricate and detailed. It had even gotten the seal of approval from my grandmother, which was not an easy thing to get in the day. <laughs> when I showed it to Mike, he just rolled his eyes and said, Oh, you can paint pictures on cloth with some string. How exciting. And I would say, I'd like to see you do something like that if it's so easy. And he'd just scoff again and say he had better things to do with his time. A friend of mine who had a custom framing shop had framed it professionally for me, and I had hung it on the wall. He put it in the closet. Whenever I had taken another needlepoint project out to work on, while we were watching a movie or something, he'd demand that I put the stupid thing away so I could focus on the movie and him. I would end up putting it away, but more because it was something I couldn't do while irritated and angry, so there was no point to try to work on it anymore. I learned quickly that anything I was interested in that he was not was immediately stupid and worthless. I was only allowed to take part in his interests, like football games, video games, martial arts, that sort of thing. Number three, lying to my face when we both knew full well that he was lying, even if there was proof. 
This was one of the most irritating things I have ever experienced. When I had first discovered the emails between him and Jesse and their plan to meet, I had confronted him and showed him the email. He did try to argue that he didn't know how that got there or who she was. Seriously, he did. He'd look me right in the eye and use all kinds of emotional body language to act hurt and wounded that I refused to believe him. When I showed him the whole email thread, clearly proof that he had been talking with her for a long time, he actually tried to convince me that someone else must have the same email address and he just got copies in his inbox. That's not how the internet works, of course, but dang, he really tried his hardest to make me believe that. Narcissists can be great actors, and there were moments during conversations like these where I would stop and wonder, is he maybe right? Is there something to this? Maybe it was possible that someone else had the same email. No, that is not possible. Stop it. <laughs> For crying out loud. Whenever Mike was caught red-handed, he would employ this tactic. Once in a while, it would work, but not very often. Usually, it would only work if I was confronting him with something absolute concrete evidence for. I learned not to bother trying to talk to him without that kind of evidence. Not that he would ever admit anything even with the evidence, but it was easier to keep my own head on straight and not fall for his baloney. Number four, telling me who I can and can't talk to. He had started this behavior before we had even met, way back when we were still just an online couple. God forbid I had another friend or someone to talk to for even a minute while he was around. As far as Mike was concerned, now that I had him in my life, I had no need for anyone else. If I expressed a desire to hang out with friends, he would ask me if I really loved him. He'd wonder why he wasn't enough for me, why I needed anything more than his time and attention. At first he would act wounded and hurt that he wasn't fulfilling enough for me, but as time wore on, he would just get angry and accusatory. He'd say things like, You want to go out with your friend instead of being with me, the one you supposedly love? I guess I know where I stand. Or he'd just straight up accuse me of cheating on him. Eventually, I just stopped pursuing friendships with anyone. It was easier than constantly fighting about it. Number five, putting down all of my friends and family. I learned very early on with Mike not to criticize anyone or say that someone had upset me for any reason because he would use this. You may think that was because he would get mad at them on my behalf or go after them, but no, that wasn't the case. Instead, he would use even the tiniest negative I had ever said about someone against them when it was convenient for him. If I said that I needed to spend an afternoon with my mother, he would say, didn't you tell me that she always liked your brother best? Why would you go out of your way for her now? He would twist anything I had ever said and use it as a weapon to try to coerce me into not seeing my own mother or anyone else that happened to come up. I stopped saying anything about anyone because I didn't want to give him any more ammunition. It's time for a short break here, but when we come back, we'll finish going over my list. See you in a minute. Welcome back. Continuing on, we're up to number six. Constantly criticizing everything I did and never being appreciative of anything I did for him. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. It didn't start right away, but it was only a few weeks after we had started living together that this new tick popped up. When we met, 
I had very long, curly, shiny red hair. It was my lion's mane, and I loved it. He did, too, at first. But it wasn't long before he was suggesting that I wear my hair up all the time, or even get it cut very short. I refused for almost a full year until I caved during one of the times that he had come back to me. I thought that would make him happy and show him that I was committed to working on our relationship and doing things to make him happy. He was very happy when I came home from the salon, for a few days anyway, and then he started whining about missing my long hair. When he first joined me in Connecticut, he was pleased that I always cooked a good homemade dinner, usually fresh, real ingredients, nothing from a box or freezer or can. Slowly, that morphed into me being a food snob and refusing to make dinners that he liked, dinners that Tina used to make, like Hamburger Helper and Sloppy Joe's. I would give in from time to time, and soon three or four dinners a week would be that sort of food. But then that morphed into, you don't really even cook anymore. Was that all just for show? Now that I'm here, you don't feel like you have to impress me anymore? Whatever the situation was, I could never win. If I did what he requested, then he would complain about it. There was never a way to win with him, aside from refusing to play the game. And that meant ending the relationship. Number 7. Rewriting History Many times when we'd have long discussions about issues we were dealing with, I would refer to something that he had said in the past, and he would always counter that with, I never said that. Now this could be something from the distant past, or even ten minutes earlier in the current conversation. It got to the point where I felt like I needed to record all of our conversations just so I could counter this and he would be so adamant that he had never said or done whatever it was that I had mentioned, that I would begin to question my own memory. Number 8. Walking on Eggshells This is another of the crazy-making behaviors. Anything could set Mike off at any moment without any warning whatsoever. He could come home from work and I'd ask, How was your day? and he would launch into an angry tirade about how I should do laundry every other day instead of once a week because I am clearly lazy, and he needs to buy nicer clothes, and it's my fault that he can't. I would just look at him, stunned, like, blinking and silent until he was done, and then it would be like nothing ever happened. Well, aside from those times where I would react and decide not to take his crap and yell right back at him. I did that fairly often because... I don't like being yelled at, especially for no reason. We could be out doing something fun with the kids, and out of nowhere, he was ordering us back home because he wasn't going to be out in public if the kids can't behave. And Maggie and I would look at each other like, what just happened? That whole random explosion thing was very tiring, frustrating, and emotionally draining. There are hundreds of examples that I could share about each of these topics, I don't think I had really realized the extent of things until I started putting it all in order. I left my therapist's office that day with a lot on my mind. How could I love someone so deeply who just treated me so badly? What was I hoping to get out of this relationship? Why was it so hard to let go? And the toughest question, I knew that he would do all of these things, and probably worse, if and when he came back, so why did I want him back so badly? 
The answers to these questions would not come for another decade, but I didn't stop trying to answer them along the way. I had been journaling a lot through all of this mess, but lately my journal had gone from me writing to myself to me writing to Mike. I had started outlining a list of rules, lists of behaviors that I would no longer tolerate, and my expectations. I wasn't sure this was fair. I questioned myself. Was was I trying to be controlling or demanding? Second-guessing myself was one of the big problems that had arisen after being with someone like Mike for so long. I decided that even if it was wrong to make a list like this, it was still necessary. I had to protect myself and my children, and through therapy, I realized now that I had some big problems with boundaries. So if, or when, Mike came back again, I would make them absolutely clear. The trick was to stick to them no matter what, because if you don't, then there's really no reason to have boundaries in the first place, is there? Spoiler alert. I didn't have much time to sit with these thoughts and further organize my plan for dealing with Mike, because the very next morning, he called and said he was ready to come home. We talked at great length about our past, our future, my list of rules and expectations. He said all of the right things, everything I wished he would say. He told me that all of this time apart had showed him that no one he could ever meet would ever love him the way I did, and how he thought he was self-sabotaging by hurting me and seeking out other relationships. Maybe part of him was just afraid to be truly loved, so he kept ruining it on purpose, subconsciously, of course. He readily and eagerly agreed to every single item in my list of demands for changes in his behavior. He agreed to an equal sharing of the financial responsibilities, transparency with internet and cell phone use, therapy for anger management, anything I asked of him. He promised he would do all of it. He would do anything to be back in my life and stay there this time. He brought up the kids and said, that all he wanted was to be a good dad and raise them right, which reminded me of something. I confronted him about the child support payments that he was supposed to have been depositing for Mac while he was with Cloudy, and how he had misread what had happened. He was confused. What had happened? I explained that the overdraft fee had came from the bank because he hadn't accounted for the $1 ATM use fee each time I took money out. He told me that he didn't know that, and he apologized. I pressed forward, though, wanting to see how he'd deal with the conversation. I told him that Cloudy and I had talked about it, and she checked the bank account and saw what had happened. She knew that I had never taken more than the $25 a week, and she said she talked to him about it. Mike said that they never had that conversation, or maybe he just forgot it. But he then switched tactics and said that, I should have been withdrawing $24 a week then to cover that cost. I informed him that you cannot take $24 out of an ATM machine. They don't stock them with singles, multiples of five only. And that I felt covering the cost of that withdrawal should fall on him anyway. My tone of voice had grown a little sharper at that point, and it seemed to remind him that he was supposed to be on his best behavior, so he reverted back to sweetness and light but I had a feeling that he didn't want to, and trying to be nice about this and accept the blame for it was very difficult for him. 
He apologized and said that he really hadn't been aware of that problem, but at least it wasn't an issue anymore, right? He'd be here with me and with Mac, and he would do everything he could to provide a nice life for us all. I would never need to worry about child support again. He brilliantly deflected the conversation back to future planning. This was something he used often. If I'd ever start to sound worried about something, he would bombard my brain with beautiful visions of a wonderful future that we would build together. It was effective, too effective, and I fell for it consistently. By the end of the conversation, I was feeling pretty confident that I could handle him now. I thought I was ready for this. I thought I had all of my tools in place to deal with him this time, and everything would be so much better. I thought a lot of crazy things, and I was wrong, of course, but we will talk about that in the next episode. So until then, thank you for listening, and take care. People ask me what my secret is.